This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. Once again, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on mental health and its relevance to the management of diabetes. First, we'll begin with a quick overview of relevant data, including epidemiology and etiological links between diabetes and common co-occurring mental health morbidities. Then we'll move on to an expert interview with Professor Richard Holt to hear his advice for clinical practice. As always, please do feel free to skip ahead to the expert interview if you're already familiar with this therapy area. Over recent years, mental health has gained attention as an important factor for both quality of life and success for management of chronic conditions such as diabetes. Research is increasingly demonstrating a relationship between mental health disorders and diabetes, with bidirectional causal relationships suspected across the spectrum of care. Both type 1 and type 2 diabetes are psychologically challenging diseases for both patients and their families, interfering with quality of life and increasing exposure to emotional stress. An increased risk for a number of psychiatric conditions are associated with diabetes, including depression, anxiety, and eating disorders. The term diabetes distress has been coined to describe the emotional and psychological stress that can be observed as a result of living with diabetes. As described by doctors Rakia and Kinza Tareen in their 2017 article published in Translational Pediatrics, diabetes distress can be designated as a quality of life issue due to the combination of medical and psychological burden of diabetes mellitus as a chronic and complex malady that creates an emotional distress that often remains hidden from providers and, at times, from the sufferer as well. The review paper goes on to describe diabetes distress as an affective state, resulting from constant worry about disease management adherence, leading to feelings of fear, anxiety, overwhelming burden and anger, or antipathy. In essence, Tareen and Tareen summarise that diabetes distress stems from the immediate and long-term implications of diabetes on quality of life. After a diagnosis of diabetes, people are instructed to undergo immediate significant lifestyle amendment in order to effectively manage the condition. They may be made aware that the disease's prognosis is dependent on effective glucose management and any transgressions from ideal management, such as suboptimal choices in diet, will ultimately impact later outcomes of the disease. This can drive feelings of failure, despair and lack of support, which can lead to the development of mental health comorbidities, which in turn further drive poor disease outcomes. The presence of mental health comorbidities can create a negative feedback loop that drives poor treatment adherence and negative disease outcomes. For example, depression can reduce a person's motivation and ability for self-care, leading to reduced glycemic control that drives further depression. This was illustrated in Lussman and Klaus's 2005 review titled Depression in Diabetic Patients, where the authors found an association between concurrent depression and a decrease in metabolic control, and in turn poor metabolic control exacerbated symptoms of depression. The background of diabetes can also lead to unique mental health disorders, such as diabulimia, which has been recently described by Dr. Ingrid Torgerson in her BMJ article, Diabulimia, the World's Most Dangerous Eating Disorder. The condition occurs most commonly in young people between 15 and 30 with type 1 diabetes, where the person purposefully restricts their insulin doses in order to lose weight. This leads to significant hyperglycemia and serious subsequent complications, including amputations, blindness and mortality. 
These examples illustrate the significance of mental health in both quality of life and disease outcomes in diabetes. However, successful management of mental health comorbidities can help prevent poor patient outcomes. For example, the PROSPECT trial, which looked at implementing a primary care management programme in depressed patients with diabetes, saw a significantly improved five-year survival in those who received the depression management programme compared to those who received usual care, with a hazard ratio of 0.49 in the intervention arm. Similarly, an evaluation of the KIPA-D programme in Mexico, published in Diabetes Research and Clinical Practice in May 2019, reported multifactorial improvements across measures of health in people with type 2 diabetes. This model involved four monthly intervention visits and two annual follow-up visits, in which participants received training on achieving metabolic goals, identification and resolution of barriers to implementation, and empowerment to implement self-management and individualised strategies. The trial reported low anxiety and depression scores at the two-year evaluation point, as well as achievement of glycemia targets of 61%, blood pressure targets of 70.6%, and LDL cholesterol targets of 40%. A number of trials have evaluated telemedicine and web services in improving psychosocial outcomes, such as the Springboard trial and Back Hackettel's trial of the Koyo T1 clinic, published this August in Diabetes Education. These have demonstrated mixed results in terms of both psychosocial and diabetes-related outcomes. So, that's a rapid summary of available data, but how does this apply to actual clinical practice? What can diabetes professionals do to assist patients with their mental health? This week, we join Richard Holt, Professor in Diabetes and Endocrinology at the University of Southampton, for his recommendations on how to implement mental health care into clinical practice. So, Professor Holt, thank you so much for joining us today. My first question is, what are the key signs of a mental health disorder that diabetes professionals should be looking out for? It's important to recognise that people with diabetes are at increased risk of a range of mental health disorders, which range through anxiety, depression, diabetes distress, all the way through to things like stigma and discrimination. It's important that that healthcare professionals, when they see people with diabetes, should screen for mental health problems as part of their routine clinical care. There are a number of things that people can use in order to help identify these mental health disorders. So, for example, there have been a number of questionnaires that have been validated in people with diabetes to identify both depression anxiety and diabetes-related distress. None of these questionnaires take a long time to complete. And in my own clinical practice, I often ask people to fill these questionnaires when they're in the waiting room prior to coming to see me. I think one of the real, really key things is that although people may be struggling with their diabetes and they may well be having problems with mental health issues, that often when they come into clinic, they will often try and hide, hide these problems. And so it's important not just to rely on clinical acumen. So, for example, many people with depression may appear quite cheerful when they come to a clinic. And if you just rely on individual uh, impressions of how people are, it's likely that you will miss significant psychiatric problems. And so I think the, the key thing is to 
introduce these screening processes as part of everyday clinical practice and make them part and parcel of, of treatment. Thank you. And in your experience, how do you discuss mental health with patients? Uh, is it a conversation that you can strike up yourself or do you find it's more about creating an environment where people feel that they can say that something isn't okay? Traditionally, screening for mental health disorders has not been part and parcel of everyday um, diabetes care. But nevertheless, it's really important to do so because we know that people who have mental health problems not only have poorer quality of life, but also these mental health disorders can impair their ability to, uh, to, to, to manage their diabetes. So I think that there are barriers on both healthcare professional and patient sides to prevent people from raising these issues. I think the fact that traditionally this has not been part of clinical care has meant that people have been reluctant to discuss this. And I think that comes, again, from both sides of the consultation. So people with diabetes may not be expecting to talk about mental health, whereas healthcare professionals may not necessarily feel um, trained and skilled to bring up these issues. But nevertheless, I think that this is something that needs to be raised on a regular basis. People working in diabetes are often very skilled at crossing disciplines, so we're very happy to consider the effect of diabetes on the eyes, moving into ophthalmology, the nerves, moving into neurology, the kidneys, moving into renal disease, and cardiovascular disease, moving into cardi cardiology. So we are very used to using uh, moving across specialties, and I think it's important that we feel skilled to be able to raise the issues of psychology as, and psychiatric disease as well. The, sc the screening tests that we have available are very easy to use and require little training in order to implement them into, into regular, regular clinical practice. And I think it's very important that we make sure that uh, the, these are, are introduced. From the perspectives of the patient, in order to, in order to change perspective, I think that um, people need to feel free to be able to talk about their feelings, about the way that they, they are experiencing their, their, their diabetes in their everyday lives. And I think that by routinely introducing psychological screening into clinical practice, it often opens up that conversation. So, for example, one of the things that I often do is, that, is say, well, you know, we've talked about your, your kidneys and your feet and your heart. I think it's now time for us to just think about how diabetes is affecting your mood and your feelings. So just ask people to discuss how they feel about their diabetes at the moment and to think about some of the barriers and facilitators. And often that will then introduce um, conversations about how, how they are managing from a, from, a psychiatric, uh, from a psychological and mental health um, perspective. I think one of the big barriers to introducing the, this sort of screening into uh, routine practice is that people say we just do not have time to do it. With the questionnaires, they often take very little time, but nevertheless, people are worried that if um, psychological issues are raised, that this can then uh, significantly prolong consultations. Now, my argument against that would be that 
We know that these psychological problems are a major barrier to self-care. And if people are struggling with um, high glucose levels, it may well be that part of the problem is a psychological problem. And unless that is addressed, it's unlikely that we'll be able to address the glycemic control. So sometimes it may be that we need to have consultations that don't have um, a lot of emphasis on perhaps um, glucose control or, or foot care or eye care, and actually really focus on what is actually mattering to the patient at that time, which may well be the psychological issues. And are there any quick wins that you'd advise or easy implementable tactics you'd recommend to our listeners, which they could put into practice from tomorrow? So, so the, the questionnaires that are available in order to screen for psychological problems in diabetes are very easy to use. They don't take a lot of time and indeed they don't necessarily have to take time during the consultations. So this is something that could be readily introduced um, into clinics and uh, something that can be undertaken in the, clinic waiting in the clinic waiting room. So not necessarily taking time in the clinic consultation itself uh, to, to complete. However, although those are quick wins, I think it's also important to recognize that just screening for the problem is not uh, sufficient. I think it's important that where psychological problems are identified, that um, provision is made to ensure that those can be uh, addressed uh, in rapidly and effectively. Now, many um, people working in diabetes services will not necessarily have the training or the skills to, to manage uh, depression or anxiety among people with diabetes, but I think it's important that they know where to signpost the individual patients in order to improve their psychological welfare. And, you know, I, again, I would say that that parallels what we do around screening for things like nephropathy or retinopathy. In the diabetes clinics, we're not responsible for undertaking the laser therapy to somebody's eyes, but nevertheless, we are responsible for identifying the problem and making sure that those people are, uh, are referred rapidly to, to, to eye services. And I would say the same thing, therefore, applies for, uh, for people with mental health problems, that there may be things that we can do within the clinic, but where, uh, where problems actually lie outside our um, areas of expertise, we do need to be able to uh, signpost those people onto uh, appropriate services. Thank you so much for your time today, Professor Holt. This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarise, driven by diabetes distress, a number of psychological comorbidities can commonly co-occur with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. While these are associated with poor outcomes if left untreated, there are a number of ways both primary and secondary care services can act to assist patients affected by mental health disorders. Simply asking how people feel about their diabetes can introduce conversations around their mental health, with quick screening questionnaires available to help diagnose patients and provide effective care through rapid referral. If you'd like to hear more from us on the latest developments in diabetes, you can subscribe to the podcast across all major apps or stream individual episodes from our website. If you found this episode useful, please leave us a review or tweet us at DKI Practice. You can also access our free accredited CME content at knowledgeandpractice.eu. Thank you for joining. Join us again in another two weeks for a discussion of injectable therapies and how to discuss these with your patients.